Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Courtney S. Hi, everybody. Um, I think that's my cue. I'm Courtney S. I am a compulsive overeater, a bona fide card-carrying compulsive overeater. Um, I have been a compulsive overeater for as long as I can remember. I come from a family and a, and a culture, generally speaking, of compulsive overeating, uh, which by definition meant also having the pendulum swing the other way and restricting. So um, I learned at a young age and I continued to throughout the decades of my life, um, manage my, what I thought was my larger appetite, um, my idiosyncratic way of eating um, by restricting. Uh, typically what it looked like for me a regular day for me would be to wake up and uh, go throughout my day on coffee um, or coffee and you know a carrot or an apple um, and then have a feast in the evening sort of as my reward for getting through the day without any food to speak of. Um, so um, along, with all of that, what you can probably hear in, in, in the beginning of the story is this idea that food was bad and that if I was eating that that was bad or that it was I was um, indulgent. And that if I um, wasn't eating, if I was restricting, if I was abstaining from eating entirely, that then that was good, that that was um, somehow heroic and uh, worthy of a reward after the fact. Um, this was really um, after childhood, you know, after puberty set in and weight started coming on. Um, this, was, this was what I understood to be a normal relationship to food and a normal relationship to eating. Um, I, I understood that there were many people in the world that I could find many people all over the world who didn't have this relationship, who did have a healthier relationship to food. But my um, psychological and emotional response to those people was to feel sorry for them because they didn't, you know, have this deep, all embracing sort of passionate relationship with food and with eating and with all sorts of foods. Um, they didn't have the sort of magical life experience that I had. So, um, but to put it into context, um, I also, as a child, felt sorry for anybody who didn't grow up in Florida or California because they didn't have access to Disneyland. So that tells you a tremendous amount about the way that I see the world. Um, um, there's really nothing more to say about it than that. It just tells you a lot about the way I see things um, from childhood on, on forwards. So if I, the question of course becomes if I was so happy, if everything was so magical and colorful and beautiful, 
if not, you know, sort of passionate and indulgent, then why in the world did I find the rooms? How did I come to Overeaters Anonymous? If everything was so fabulous, how did I end up in Overeaters Anonymous? Well, the sort of the underbelly of, of my beautiful, colorful um, entree to the story is that I suffered from a tremendous amount of anxiety, uh, debilitating levels of anxiety. Uh, I don't, I don't have the words for what it was like, really. Um, I would imagine that there are people in the Zoom, on the Zoom call right now, or listening, if you're listening on a podcast at some future time, um, it, it's more likely than not that the majority of the people listening to me right now understand what it is like to suffer from debilitating anxiety, to feel as though the anxiety is endless I could not find the edges of that experience. I couldn't find the perimeter. I couldn't find, I didn't believe that there was any way out. And um, the food, of course, therefore, was the most colorful, comforting thing that I could find, that I knew. Um, Not only as a young person, a child for whom, you know, food would really truly be everything because you know, I, I had no access to uh, adult pleasures or, you know, enticements. But even as I became an adult and uh, recognized that there were probably other things in life that I could enjoy in addition to food, that did not diminish my love of food. It did not diminish the powerful bond that I felt with food. Um, I had no understanding or uh, expectation or, or ability to see my life beyond anxiety and concurrently beyond my colorful relationship, my embracing relationship with eating at night. Um, and I sort of went along as long as I could until, until I ran out of bright and shiny things to pay attention to instead of myself. Um, and eventually I ran out of things to distract me. Um, eventually all of the external trappings of, you know, of the world and other people and work and career and travel and, and all of the other things that may have, you know, held my gaze for a certain amount of time, you know, after a while it does run out and, and one is left with oneself, or at least I was left with myself. Um, I was 34 years old and I had truly, truly, truly run out of things to, I'd run out of places to go. I'd run out of things to buy. I had run out of projects to chase. I had run out of people to chase. I just had run out of, of, of other things. And it was at that moment that everything got a little too loud, a little too loud, a little too bright. And I was uh, sort of disintegrating psychologically from the anxiety at that point. And I became willing to do absolutely anything for peace of mind, absolutely anything. And I, I sort of started on this uh, journey of trying anything and everything that I could think of. Um, outside help in the form of therapy, change in uh, um, focus and career, to ground myself in a, in a career that I thought would be more grounding for me, um, a return uh, from living abroad to a uh, home in Los Angeles, which I affectionately referred to as the scene of the crime. <laughs> um, 
Um, I, I was willing to go to any lengths to quiet the, the cacophony between my ears. Um, it was, it was overwhelming and you can see or hear that I'm becoming emotional just thinking about it. Um, yeah, I tried everything and until, and, and things worked until they didn't almost like in the way we talk about overeaters anonymous diets worked until they didn't solutions worked until they didn't. Um, and eventually my ability to pay for these solutions also ran out. And, um, I was working with a particular, uh, a woman who had 20 years in the family program. And she said to me, look, I, I know you don't really want to hear about joining any groups, but I really think you'd benefit from this 12 step solution. And I'd run out of arguments and it even still at that point took me about 18 more months to walk into my first family uh, subject meeting where I, you know, my jaw hit the floor and I did nothing but cry for as long as I can remember um, because not because I was in so much pain anymore, but because I was in so much relief. And at that, at that time, then 44 years old to discover that there had been a, that to discover that I was not alone, to discover that I had not been the only one um, with this, you know, nutty, you know, alien-like problem, or what I felt was like an alienating-like problem, um, and to discover that, the, uh, that there had been a solution this whole time, probably blocks away from wherever I was at any given point in the day, you know, I'd only lived in cosmopolitan areas. It wasn't like I couldn't have found some 12-step meeting somewhere if I would have understood they existed and if I would have understood that I was an addict. Um, so the, the, that cold bucket of water to the face was so sharp and painful um, and dissolving, like I was made of salt and the water and the cold water just was dissolving me. Um, I couldn't contain the emotion of all of those realizations. And I think I just was in those rooms for what seemed like about a year, just crying from that experience. And, um, that's where I learned about addiction. And that's where I learned the, that's where I learned that I was an addict. Um, and I was sitting with a fellow who's not in our rooms, uh, it's a close friend from school and it was, you know, life was in session as it always is for us. Right. Or for me. And, um, and, and, and my friend has had number of years of recovery in a number of other rooms. And I had just arrived at his house and he had put out tea and, and food. I think I don't, don't want to sit, mention different food, but he put out a spread. And we were sitting and chatting and catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a long time and drinking tea. And of course he's drinking tea and I'm shoveling in other things, other foods. And we get to the end of our conversation and he says very gently, he says, okay, um, but now would you like to talk about the number of X, Y, and Z that you just ate in a very short period of time? And um, I was very quiet. My, you know, of course I wanted to say, you know, I wanted to get defensive and say, what are you talking about? Um, but that was, that was my first thought. I had enough recovery to know that I was supposed to be quiet and listen to another fellow with more experience, share his experience, strength, and hope with me about something that he observed about his friend. 
So I listened. I didn't argue. Um, I was, I was of course quite busy on this trip and I couldn't exactly get to an OA meeting uh, right away, but I, um, I got home from that trip. I don't remember the precise date, but I do remember looking up Overeaters Anonymous uh, during the following week and taking that little exam, that little test. And it says, oh, if you can answer, you know, yes to three or more of these questions, you might be a compulsive overeater. And I answered yes to like, I think 12 or 15. And I was in my first meeting that night and I knew immediately that I was a binger. And I knew immediately that I was going to leave that meeting uh, and go home and there was going to be a corral around my meal that night. I knew that it was that my all I knew was that my meal was going to have a beginning and a middle and an end. And I knew that I didn't have a choice. I knew that I was an addict. I knew that the choices had been taken away from me. I knew that now that I understood what addiction was and that I knew that I was a food addict, that my choices were taken away from me because at that point, from that point forward, if I was unwilling to be truthful with myself and what was I doing, then what hope did I have for either peace between my ears or happiness in life? So um, I was immediately struck accident. There was a little bit of back and forth chip taking over those eight months, but I have not binged. Um, in any way, shape, or form since uh, December, December 13th of 2012. Um, and then over the course of these months and years, uh, my meals, my evening meals have gotten smaller. They're, they, they are appropriate and in sort of type and size for my age and my uh, activity and my, um, and my body shape, I suppose, my metabolism. Um, I also no longer skip meals. Um, I basically, for, for all intents and purposes, I eat three meals a day that are moderately sized. If my meals are too big, I don't feel well. If they're too small, I'm in danger of them becoming too big. So I've learned that I need three moderately sized meals a day of a certain type. I let go of red light foods um, approximately one year later that I haven't had in, in that whatever that many years has been. Um, cleaning up my food was an imperative. It's foundational, it's bottom line. Um, but I won't, I can't, I can't lie and tell you that it wasn't for some other purpose, which it was. It was really to continue to cause me to move forward towards a more peaceful mindset. Um, I, I, am, I have as much vanity as the next person. I don't like feeling overweight. I don't like when my clothes are too tight. I don't like the way I look when I'm puffy and overweight. Um, I'm self-conscious. I have lower self-esteem when that happens. I have all the trappings of, of vanity and of wanting to look a certain way, of wanting to look attractive to myself and to others. Um, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. But that was never enough. That was never enough <laughs> to get me to stop eating. Um, the only thing that could get me to stop eating was the suggestion that it would help calm my mind, that it would help me overcome debilitating anxiety. Um, that was the only motivating factor for me 
prior to coming into Overeaters Anonymous, throughout maintaining my fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous, um, and still to this day, I think, I really truly believe that I am mostly still motivated by peace of mind uh, and a quieter mind um, and a and an ability to navigate the vicissitudes of life. I heard somebody say that and I just really liked it. Um, my goal is to be able to navigate the ever changing vicissitudes of life um, with calm, um, uh, with, with calm, with calm. And um, as my sponsor knows regularly, uh, I'm in danger of falling off that uh, piece of timber <laughs> in the river. Um, and and, and as, I'm, as I'm balancing on that piece of timber in the running river and somebody shows up with, some, with foods that are not mine, all I can ever think of is I'm having trouble balancing on this log in this river, but if I eat that food, I will for sure fall off. I will for sure fall off and end up in the river. So um, when life gets very, very challenging and I do feel like I'm a log roller, all I can think of in those moments is, well, for whatever you do, just don't, just don't eat those foods which are just not yours because then you'll have two problems. And I find myself saying that to like my parents even these days, you know, certain, like I'll say that to anybody. Um, so it's, I see, I see the time, I see it's 6.10. It's difficult, I've been chatting this long. Um, it goes by very quickly. Um, I'm really grateful that Lucy asked me to lead this meeting. It's a, obviously a huge honor. Um, I'm grateful that my um, sponsor was here and gave me words of wisdom. My sponsee is here. Um, I haven't seen everybody in a long time. Life has really, 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 really deeply been in session for me and for my family for a number of years now. Um, and I've, I don't get to see everyone as much either on Zoom or in person, obviously, um, lately. But I will say that the things that have kept me moving forwards um, are my abstinence and my connection to my sponsor and to my sponsee. When the going has gotten very tough, knowing that I have this connection to abstinence, which is really synonymous with my connection to God um, and my connection to a sponsor and a sponsee, those kinds of responsibilities um, have, have kept me moving forward have kept me out of the food, have kept me sober, have kept my mind quieter. Um, um, I can't, ex you know, I can't express, you know, enough the strength of those uh, relationships that is to sobriety, to God, to a sponsor and to a sponsee, um, or enough gratitude for any of it as, as uh, excuse me, for, for any of it either. At various points in time, you know, during a, 10, nine, eight year sobriety in any 12 step program, at least for me, um, the tools I've reached for have varied. Um, sometimes step work, sometimes write, you know, some, it's just, it's varied. Um, um, it, it's varied for me as much as it varies with respect to everybody's faces I'm seeing on the screen. So I can only tell you now on the day that life has been in session, it's been very challenging. Um, and I work my program through a pretty strict 
commitment to and relationship with sobriety, God, my sponsor and my sponsee. Um, and I don't know why that it, uh, the only thing I can tell you is that it's God. Um, I, I was a doubter, a non-joiner, a cynic, a naysayer, an insecure person who wouldn't join or do anything without, um, just period. Um, and, and, and I remember in various points in my life, I had to come to terms with whether I wanted to believe in something, whether I wanted to be seen as so foolish um, by others, um, as somebody who believed in something, as somebody who believed in something bigger than herself, as something, somebody who believed in something spiritual or in God. And I'd grapple, I'd struggled with this even prior to coming to the rooms. And then I met my sponsor who said those exact words to me. You know, she said a long, long, long time ago, look, we have a choice. God is everything or God is nothing. It's really up to you. And I knew as soon as she said the words that the only way forwards, again, the only way forwards for me to quiet my mind was not only sobriety, um, but was to admit that I believed in something greater than myself and to, and to not waver from that um, and to develop the courage to say it out loud um, to myself, not only to myself, but in meetings and to my loved ones and to anyone who asks now. Um, and, the, and the willingness to perhaps look foolish to others. So there's still things I'm working on, um, but, but I suppose there it is. So I know I have a few minutes left. I think I'd rather stop there. And in case anyone has any specific questions or something that I could help out with, um, Thanks again for everyone. Welcome to all the newcomers. Um, it's a privilege to have you here and welcome to the chip takers and, the, and congratulations to the anniversary um, holders and birthday people. Um, it's beyond it's beyond inspiring and I'm grateful that I got to hear your, your shares before I started. Thank you. Thank you, Courtney. Okay, now's the time for questions. You can raise your hand in the reaction section if you have a question for Courtney. So I will take our first question, which is Katie. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for your lead. That was wonderful. Um, I would love to know if you have any experience, strength, and hope around um, being that it is a holiday weekend. Um, you know, if there's anything that you do to sort of mentally prepare or you know suit up with your recovery suit of armor for um, events like you know barbecues and seeing family and you know those uh, food type situations where it's potluck and things like that. For sure. Um, tomorrow is Sunday. That's how I do it. I, I heard somebody say that early on about Thanksgiving, you know, and they said tomorrow is Thursday. And I said, yeah, that's it. Tomorrow's Thursday. Because I can make a feast out of any day of the week. Thank you. All right, Carl, you're up next. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Courtney, for your share. I was wondering if you could tell us how your perception of God or your higher power was before program and what it's like now, and also how you work the spiritual part of the program on a daily basis, if you do. Absolutely, thank you. So prior to coming into the rooms, I absolutely unequivocally believed in God and God was that which was to be feared. I walked around in fear all the time. I walked around in fear of God all the time. God was a 
a sort of a benevolent dictator who could reward me one minute and hit me upside the head with a two by four the next. And I walked around in terror uh, on eggshells all the time. And it took me many, 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 many years to learn that perhaps, just perhaps, it wasn't so serious and that perhaps God or the gods or the universe or whomever, perhaps it, they were on my side. So I walk around now feeling a, a bit more like, as though, you know, the energy is maybe a bit more on my side. Um, and how did I come to that, Carl? Honest to goodness, time. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't either. I don't know other than to say that it was, that it's time, time and, and time and time in the rooms, sometimes multiple meetings a day, listening to everyone else, listening to how other people did it. Um, having a wonderful sponsor who understood fear or understood my fear very, very well and could calm me down. Um, and, and what do you do on a daily basis? Do you do anything specific? On a daily basis, what do I do on a daily basis? Um, this is going to sound so weird, but I move throughout my day kind of as though I'm being watched. I know that's okay. That's crazy. Um, but that's how I feel. I, I move throughout my day as though I'm not alone, as though there is something watching. Um, and so as things go well, I stop and I, I, I say, thank you. I'm like, okay, look, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Or if something is rough, I'm kind of like, are you kidding? Really? Really? What's, what are we doing? What's, what's going on? What are we doing? So um, yeah, I'm in some really weird television show 24 seven. Um, and I've just now admitted that to, I don't know, thousands of people all over the world. So thank wonderful. you. Absolutely zero anonymity. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Courtney. Are there any other questions? We have time for probably one more question at 618. Sure, Jen M. Hi, Jen M. Um, Courtney, thank you so much for your share. I thought um, I related a lot to it. Um, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about, you talked a lot about your struggle with anxiety and I definitely have a, I'm getting upset talking about it. Um, yeah, I have a similar struggle. And so I guess I'm curious because I, I find that, um, like I've tried to get started and it just seems to increase. The, the pain and suffering I have in, in my brain. There's moments of like, you know, good moments too, but I, I think it's been really hard for me. So I'd love to learn more about like what you really leaned on in the beginning to uh, push through. Sure, it's been a lifelong journey. And I will say in the one minute, first of all, obviously reach out to me. They, everybody has my number. I'll put it in the chat after we're done. We can talk more. But what I, in a nutshell, what I learned ultimately was that a lot of what was going on in my head was another addiction that was designed to have protected myself from some very difficult circumstances from birth forwards. And that was the thing that turned it around, but we can talk more. Thank you. Okay, that's all the time we have for questions and I'll turn it back over to Jesse. And thank you, Courtney. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks, Courtney.